Okay, pasa, mufasa, ni hao, shalom, salam aleikum, aloha, and good day. Welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Walker, and today we've got Batuhan Bintash on the podcast, the virtual architect behind Cyber Mushroom. What is Cyber Mushroom, you ask? Well, here's Batu explaining exactly what it is in his own words. I see Cyber Mushroom as a place for mapping the psychedelic world. I met Batu in England at Breaking Convention this past April, and I was blown away by not just the immersive technological cyberdelic experience he was exhibiting, but more so by his overarching vision for the role of immersive technology and psychedelic experiences in shaping the future of global society, and how we can leverage these emergent technologies to foster empathy for marginalized populations and to create dynamic, shared, transcendental experiences together. This podcast is brought to you by Microboost, a purveyor of fruiting body functional mushroom extracts and functional mushroom coffee that I have been rocking with for a hot minute now. Mm. You hear that? I'm drinking a Microboost functional mushroom coffee at this very moment to stay dialed in and on top of my workflow without surrendering to the over-caffeination jitters, which I know too well. This podcast is also brought to you by Inoculate the World, your one-stop shop for mycology supplies. Inoculate the World has one of the most impressive mushroom genetic libraries currently available anywhere, as well as research and laboratory supplies, such as flow hoods, microscopes, got all kinds of heady merch, and books too on the site. All right, with all that being said, thanks for listening. Please consider leaving a review wherever you're tuning in, and let's get down to business. Que pasa, mufasa, merhaba, ni hao, shalom, salam, aleikum. What's up? We've got Batuhan Bintash, the founder of Cyber Mushroom, on the podcast today. It looks quite hot in London. I understand you're experiencing a heat wave. How are you today? Um, I'm good. I'm good. I'm melting. It's too hot in London. Literally, like, maybe I've taken my third shower, changed my second shirt. It's crazy. Well, it sounds like things are, are cool in VR land, at least. You know, you can. it doesn't change the facts immediately surrounding you. But that's what we're here to talk about today is the cyber mushroom experience and the immersive technology. And you've described the cyber mushroom experience with the term cyberdelic, which may be a new one for some of the listeners. So can we start off by unpacking that term? What does cyberdelic mean? Yeah, I mean, cyberdelic is a term that's been around for for a while now, maybe for the past 40 years, since 80s. Um, it's a term that stands for using technology in achieving new form of altered states of consciousness. I would like to emphasize on the word new because um, cyberdelics, even though they get the inspiration from the psychedelic experience, they do not claim to be a psychedelic trip. Because, uh, first of all, neither science nor philosophy knows what a psychedelic trip is. But in the end of a psychedelic trip, the experiencer feels changed and, 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 and transformed. And a cyberdelic experience is similar, but we achieve new forms, altered states of consciousness with technology. So um, what I mean by new form of technology is like we use immersive technologies such as virtual reality to, to switch your sights. Uh, we use binaural beats to get your mind into a certain frequency and, and there's so many different methods and the more our technology evolves the more cyberdelic tools will evolve and I believe that in the upcoming 5 to 10 years cyberdelics are going to be widely used in, in the modern society Great, well that segues into my next question and you addressed this a little bit but people have been drawing comparisons between psychedelics and technology, the VR experience, etc. since the 80s. And Timothy Leary was an early proponent and adopter of virtual reality. And he, he actually co-authored some papers about VR with an early pioneer in that space named Eric Golikson, who's the founder of Sense8 Corporation and a number of other ventures. Terence McKenna also wrote about virtual reality, and he's got a piece called Virtual Reality and Electronic Highs that he wrote in the 90s. So these were, you know, very seminal psychedelic thinkers and thought leaders who also saw the potential for cyberdelics, but it's taken quite a while for it to catch on for whatever reason. And now we're at a place where psychedelics and VR are very prominently placed in mainstream society in terms of the discussion around them, the people who are 
you know, working with them and also just excited about the possibility, but it's never really caught on. So why do you suppose today in 2023, cyberdelics and this immersive technology that's also superimposed with the psychedelic experience, why is that in a good position right now to take off when 40 years ago people were excited about the prospects, but it never experienced widespread adoption? Yeah, I mean, 40 years ago, we had the technology, but you had to wear a, a VR headset that was like, you know, f five times bigger than your own, own body. Whereas now you can use your mobile phone, you have that in your pocket, you can use a mobile phone to go into a virtual world. And like you mentioned last week, you know, Apple, one of the biggest tech companies, joined the game now. And that's a complete game changer. And I even looked at their, uh, their headsets if you look at the, the, their commercial video, they don't use the word virtual reality not even once. They use the term immersive experience. And what is a psychedelic experience? Immersive experience. It's an immersive headset. And what is a psychedelic experience? It's a fully immersive experience. So, and what I really find interesting is, and it's also, by the way, back to your question, it's kicking off right now because whilst technology is getting smaller smaller and more affordable and we also have the psychedelic research that's going on you know like i've been talking about this stuff for the past 10 15 years and literally 10 years ago i was the weirdo i, I can imagine you know you can relate to it but in the past five years i became the cool cool guys you know cool kids because now that as, as the scientific research, you know, scientific to proven that, you know, um, psychedelics are good for the mind and healing, there is more and more research and funding going into these fields, including cyberdelics. So, and right now, I find it really interesting because, you know, if you think about it, um, it was in, in, the, in the 1960s and 70s, it was the human closeness that was felt under the influence of psychedelic substances was the one of the main catalysts in creation of personal computers and networks like internet and and it was so then it was the psychedelic experience that inspired us to create these devices that we're using on a daily basis and they're connecting us all around the world and now we are using these devices to generate a, a almost like a parallel dimension you know I see that internet is a parallel dimension. We use, you know, a virtual reality Google to enter it. Like right now, maybe we are using our mobile phones to look at that parallel dimension that we are surrounded by. But soon we're going to put the headset on and actually step into it. And I see a parallel to this in the psychedelic world, you know. Perhaps what we tap into with psychedelic substances is that we tap into a parallel dimension. But instead of putting a VR headset, you alter your body's chemical reactions with mushrooms or with DMT. So I think we have a really, really interesting age that we are entering. You know, I feel that things getting weirder, weirder and weirder. And we live in a time where science fiction is becoming science fact. You know, I saw you on a podcast you did recently in an interview talking about some really interesting concepts about using this immersive technology to develop our sense of empathy and understanding about what's happening on the other side of the world or in the world around us. And the example that you used is talking about a lot of the rare earth minerals that are being mined in Africa. And right, the minerals that are being used to construct phones and technology and transistor chips, etc., in many cases are being mined by people who will never be able to use this technology or don't, who don't have access to it. And I think that's such a very specific and interesting example which you illustrated a little bit. Can you talk a little bit about where you see this immersive technology, such as the cyber mushroom experience and other applications and hardware beyond that? What role do those technologies play in helping us to empathize with marginalized communities and populations that maybe are in the blind spot collectively of society? Well, I mean, you know, the, the VR has such a power that it can transform transfer your mind from one place to another. For example, another work that I do is I work with a global NGO called Art Solution, and we take arts to places in crisis. And right now I'm coordinating Art Solution in Turkey because recently we had an earthquake in Turkey. And, and at the earthquake, you know, two, up to 200,000 people died, lots of people lost their homes. And I was in that zone in February last month, last year. Sorry, this year in February. 
and I literally went around and filmed everything in my 360 VR camera. And right now we are using that for uh, we're creating a virtual experience. So there is a difference when you tell someone what's happening on the other side of the planet, but when they put a VR headset on and get directly transported into that place, even if it's for five minutes, it affects the mind because it's a, you know you, you can empathize towards this uh, towards this unfortunate event. And back to your example, yes, I find it quite. Um, um, quite uh, and satirical or um, strange that, you know, um, we're all uh, like the same devices that we use, we we talking about, you know, like using for altering perception or, you know, or changing the mind are actually completely destroying the nature, you know, and, and if you go down to the to the, the supply chain, the, the materials that are being mined for our devices are actually mined in, in horrible conditions, but we cannot, you know, moan about this because if you and me don't use these devices like we are doing right now, someone else will do it, and and then it's and then and then it's going to, you know, they're gonna impose their own agenda on people. And so what I'm saying is, it, it's it's always best, you know, like use the upcoming cutting edge technology, no matter how much damage they can give to the world, but use it to alter people's minds and perceptions. I find it really fascinating that the tool you have, you hold in your hand is like a, a magical portal. You know, within seconds you can approach thousands and millions of people and share your ideas. I mean, this is a form of telepathy. I call it digital telepathy. Yeah, it's wild. And I really resonate with that statement about things getting weirder. And I think for a lot of people who have been pursuing these lines of thinking for a long time, we're starting to see them come to fruition in reality, right? Uh, 20 years ago, if you were talking about immersive psychedelic and technology experiences, you would be ostracized in a lot of ways and considered to be a nerd, right? Or a weirdo. And in reality, like we're starting to see truth become stranger than fiction. And it's just driving a really rapid evolution of, of more people thinking along these lines, right? Thinking outside of the norm. The norm, quote unquote, is actively being redefined and evolving. And it's a really exciting time. And so let's touch on, let's dive into your background because you mentioned you were in Turkey. There was a devastating earthquake that was debilitating, destabilizing for a large region. And one of these themes and narratives that we're seeing come up a lot now is this idea of climate refugees and of massive refugee migrations from all corners of the world, but specifically from the global south, from places along the equatorial belt, from places where the ocean levels are rising, uh, you know, parts of Africa and sub-Saharan Africa that are being heavily impacted by climate change and by supply chain issues, as you mentioned. And Turkey has seen a lot of that. When I was in Turkey last time in 2015, I saw quite a few Syrian refugees in camps they're driving across the country and right these these camps that have been set up with many people living in them and then from there people migrating to europe and of course there are many there's a very large turkish population across europe especially in places like berlin and germany and your family i understand migrated into europe and you shared with me that you lived in a couple of different countries i want to say denmark maybe uh and then you eventually settled in england so i'm curious how has your experience with technology immersive tech and psychedelics helped you to process and frame this experience of transplanting from one native region and being an immigrant in a society where you were considered an outsider. Yeah, well, I mean, thank you for touching that because it's like really, I actually have some powerful stories on that. So um, let's start like when I left Turkey. So actually my, my family lives and, and stay, they stayed in Turkey, but I left Turkey when I was 17. So I lived in Italy as an exchange student for a year. And then I moved to Denmark and lived there for two years. And then when I was 20, I moved to London and I've been living here for the past 10 years. But uh, my journey in Europe has not been easy. You know, when you're born in a world, in a country that is considered as the so-called third world, um, your passport has extreme restrictions. Like, it's so hard for a person from third world country um, to leave the country. Like, you need permission or visa to even travel and visit someone for two days. Um, somehow I re received all those visas, but when I was in Denmark, 
in my second year, whilst I was studying, uh, my visa application got refused, and I got my passport uh, stamped, and I got given 30 days to leave the country. It was an extremely traumatizing experience. I was only 19 year old, and it was just you know when when your passport gets uh, stamped at the 19 year old, everybody at the boarding school were giving me the strange looks as if like I was the next. Osama bin Laden or something, you know, and uh, and then I, I experienced some extreme racism from teachers as well. But anyway, I haven't done anything besides being Turkish and besides being my, my country, not being in European Union. So I left. I had to leave Denmark. I went back to Turkey. But then the, this is this was happening in 2012. And then my school back then, they gave me the opportunity. They said that they didn't agree with the Danish government's decision. However, they said if I could come back to the country to take the exams, they wouldn't fail me from uh, my absence. So I said, that's cool. And then I said, but how am I going to continue my education? They said, uh, why don't we do it over the internet? This was before education over the internet. So I've done it before it was cool, you know, before COVID times. So I went back to Turkey, spent the first couple of weeks getting angry. And then I sit down every day on my own in the house and continue to my education over the internet. And that was one of my first uh, encounters with the power of the internet so my physical body was denied entry into Denmark or European zone but my mind could travel in speed of light because on the internet it's your mind that is traveling right so that was the first time I saw the power of the internet and then I came to England that summer I experienced some other you know visa difficulties my visa application to England was denied this time and then I had to reapply. I missed lots of opportunities. But when I was living in England, I, I, my family could never come and visit me because it was so hard for them to uh, apply for British visa. Like I'm, I'm, it's my my sound really crazy, but like if a Turkish person wants to go and visit their son in England, even if it's for one week, they still need to uh, prepare you know hundred pages of documents to prove that they are not. I call it self-detonating kebab heads. <laughs> You know, and um, and my and because my family couldn't come, we were always on the on the phone, and and because of that, I always thought that the the same thing. My family could, cannot be here physically, but I can travel. My mind can travel, you know, back and forth, and their minds can travel back and forth through technology. What I see is going to happen is that. Um, the more upcoming generations. So I see that the virtual reality, maybe you and me, we are, how do you call it, too old for virtual reality, you know, because it's, it's harder for my mind to adapt it. But like, I have a brother who is eight-year-old and he's been doing VR since he was two or three. And, and, and him and his generation, when, they, when the kids are raised in a virtual environment where they can be anywhere, there is no borders, you know, they can just meet kids from other side of the planet. And they can be anything at any time. You won't. We, no one will be able to, you know, tell these kids what borders are. And it's gonna be those kids. They're gonna going to be the next politicians. So I believe that's that is the you know forget about anything cyberdelic. That is the ultimate cyberdelic because in the end, technology evolves human consciousness. Incredible. And you you clearly at some point had a transformative psychedelic experience specifically. You've referenced mushrooms and DMT several times and having experienced the cyber mushroom world a little bit in England, I can tell that you have a good frame of reference for what goes on in a psychedelic experience, specifically with the tryptamine dimensions from what I can see. So can you tell us a little bit about your entree into the world of psychedelics and how has that shaped the pursuit that you're, you're following right now? Um, well, I mean, I was raised by my grandmother, um, who was a Muslim Sufi, and and she always she since I was a three or four year old, she always told me that um, Allah created our world, but this is one of the many dimensions. We are surrounded by dimensions, and we may not see them because Allah put a curtain in front of our eyes. But if you find ways to open that curtain, we can tap into the alternative dimensions around our reality and even in encounter some intelligent beings. Well, as a kid, this was, you know, my um, story of Aladdin. But then as I grew up, 
I came to age 18 and then and at that age, you know, I was just trying to be the cool hippie guy, you know, telling everybody how many psychedelics I was taking and all that. And one day my friend came to me, this guy that I just recently met, he was like, do you want to do mushrooms with us? I was like, yeah, hell yeah. Then I thought I was going to see flying pink elephants. And, but instead, when the mushrooms started kicking in, I literally remember sitting in that, you know, in, in the forest and looking around. I'm like, this is exactly what my grandmother told me. I was like, I opened the curtain. I have tapped into a somewhere, a parallel dimension, yet to be understood. And then the experience was so overwhelming, the mind expanding, that I didn't touch anything for a whole year. And I worked on integrating it until the late age 19. And then, and then soon after, a few years later, I... I came across uh, a virtual reality and I always wanted to do VR but I never knew that you could do VR with your phone so I started getting into virtual reality and virtual reality event and finally I have another story so at age 23 I had my first uh, full-on HTC Vive um, tilt brush virtual reality experience this was the first cutting-edge VR experience I've ever had uh, in my entire life and it immediately expanded my mind because I was a you know an on canvas old school painter back then and having experience you know um, tilt brush in virtual reality tilt brush is an experience where you paint in virtual space and it showed me the potential of this technology but then what happened is and um, six hours later so I left the virtual reality event the venue jumped on a bus and then I was going to a, a party and at that party, I had my first DMT experience, so in the morning. And when I had the first DMT experience, six hours after having my first VR experience, I literally sat down. I was like, well, one of them is an organic virtual reality, another one is a digital virtual reality. And I feel that we are working hard to combine these two. And then I feel that, you know, we are at an age where, you know, uh, these two worlds are about to collide. Yeah, you, you mentioned something that I want to dive into a little bit. And I lived in Saudi Arabia and taught English there after college. And I learned quite a bit about Islam and also about some of the Sufi mysticism. And one of the things that caught my attention back then is this idea of jinn, which I guess is like these, you know, interdimensional beings would be one term for them. And how much this idea of the jinn corresponds with the idea of entities and the DMT space about these intelligent, some benevolent, some malicious beings that can communicate with you. And for example, I was living in a trailer in the middle of the desert on a very large military base where I was teaching for a couple of months. And I was getting sleep paralysis in this trailer, which is something I had never experienced before, where I would wake up kind of like moaning or screaming and have these very intense kind of nightmares and then when I shared it with some of my Saudi Arabian friends, they told me maybe some jinn have come into your trailer. And it's just like a really far out sort of thing to think about, but especially with this idea of Sufi mysticism and of these alternate dim dimensions and being in a place that's quite remote and maybe enchanted or haunted is one word for it. It just starts to, to bring up a lot of questions and, and it's something that I think a lot of people maybe are turning to psychedelics for right now is we have a lot of questions about what's happening in our world, about who we are, you know, things are changing very rapidly and psychedelics can help to catalyze rapid personality change, but also rapid cultural change as has technology. And I'm 34 years old. So, you know, I, I went to school back in my day, you know, I went to school and grew up without the internet. I remember having an Apple computer and playing putt-putt and like really simple basic video games, but I didn't have a internet connection until it was a dial-up modem connection, you know, and you had to choose if you were on the phone or on the internet. And that was in the mid 1990s, probably like 1996. I don't really remember using a search engine or using the internet until fourth grade. So I would, you know, that's 1998 for me. And it's just amazing to think about, you know, now I teach high school or rather have taught high school in the last few years. And I'm teaching multimedia where every kid has a private MacBook at the school and every kid has an Adobe Creative Suite subscription. 
And just thinking about how much that's changed my consciousness and the consciousness of young generations just in one generation. My grandfather, my father's father, grew up in a town in Texas with no electricity. And now here I am, you know, I've got the world in my palm and I'm talking to a guy in England who's building cyberdelic experiences. Like where are we gonna be in one generation from now is what I'm getting at. What are, it's almost impossible to predict. But of course there's this idea of the singularity that Ray Kurzweil has popularized. A lot of tech magnets and, and you know, tech thinkers, futurists think about this. Where do you think technology will be one generation from now? You already mentioned that you think it will remove borders, which is a very astute prediction, I think. But what are some of the other tangible ways that you think that VR, cyberdelics, immersive technology, etc., are going to shape the world in the next generation? Yeah, I mean, honestly, this is like what keeps me awake every night. <laughs> I'm, I'm someone who questions this a lot. And, and honestly, I don't have an answer. The only answer I know is that the change is the only constant. And that constant is on a, in a rapid speed at the moment, you know. Um, like, for example, just a, like, just a year ago, we, didn't, we, we thought that uh, the creative industry will be the last industry that will get affected by artificial intelligence. But it turns because we thought AI cannot be imaginative. But it turns out that only under a year later, it turns out that AI is, that art creative industry is the industry that gets affected by artificial intelligence the first, and it's heavily. So um, technology and, and, and evolution is a little bit that, you know, like reality is what happens to you whilst you're making plans. And any predictions that we make right now is going to be based on our assumptions and understanding of reality. So when we are thinking about in terms of how they call it, the word of technology is going to be in the next five to ten years, we usually look at the devices in our hands and try to imagine its you know upgraded version like 2.0, 3.0. But um, who knows? Maybe in five years or ten years time, if singularity event happens, maybe I mean. I would like to get out of the box, maybe walk for an, a mile and then think from there. And maybe, you know, I, I, I would like to see a world where Internet has become self-conscious entity or it's already become self-conscious entity and then it shares its you know, intelligence with us. Maybe we have, you know, a chip in our brain that connects us to the Internet. I know this sounds really scary to a lot of people, uh, but... It is, I believe people are scared of technology because we are so imposed to dystopian science fiction. But we need to understand that we live in a world of duality. There is day and night. There is black and white. And there is dystopia. And, and there is the same amount of utopia as well. And it's a matter of, uh, matter of what we focus, what we have our focus on. And in a utopic world, uh, for me, is... You know, instead of thinking an evil force tries to control us with a chip in our brain, no, we have a brain chip that connects our mind to the global consciousness. Like all, and, and through that, I can have this conversation with you over the internet. Like language is a, is a technology. It's an amazing technology to materialize our thoughts. It's, it's the ultimate technology for caveman. We take this technology for granted. But language has a short bandwidth. Because we, we usually have more than one idea that is floating uh, in our mind. And you can only materialize one at a time with language. Imagine if you could just transfer your thoughts at the speed of, you know, of, comp of digital devices. Like two computers can exchange thousands of data with each other under milliseconds. Imagine if we could do that. If I could transfer you not only my thoughts, but say that my, if, if I'm telling a story, a memory about myself, if I could transfer you my muscle memory through microchips, through the internet, you will then fully embody who I am and understand who I am. And eventually what could happen is that whilst we start understanding each other in a much deeper way, we will become like each other and eventually we will become this thing that all the religions and spiritual teachings talk about, one consciousness experiencing itself subjectively. So I feel that this is where we are going. Whether we are one consciousness expressing itself subjectively or not, the truth of the matter is we now have created technologies that have the potential to offer this experience to us. 
So you obviously are very invested in and intensely interested in a lot of these emerging technologies. And one of those is NFTs, which I've seen you've got some references to on the on the Cyber Mushroom website and also crypto. I imagine you've got some thoughts on crypto. There's a lot of overlap between the psychedelic communities and some of these other niches, right? And I think a lot of people have invested a lot of energy and attention in trying to re-envision and restructure these macro narratives that run through society. And we're, we're being forced to restructure and reevaluate them as a lot of the old systems around us are starting to collapse and starting to, sh to show that they don't necessarily transfer into the future so well as some of these other technologies do. So I'm curious what you think about crypto. Is this something that is going to be widely adopted? Or in many cases, we've seen hype bubbles with crypto where it's like, you know, there was a lot of interest in them and then they crashed and then a few people got wealthy and a lot of people lost money. And I think in its essence, in its spirit, the philosophy underpinning crypto and this idea of decentralized technology, decentralized monetary systems is noble and wonderful, but it's that practice, putting it into practice and the actual use cases where a lot of these things fall apart. And I think you could extend that argument to VR to say that like, sorry, to immersive tech, that in theory, it's beautiful, it's gonna be used. What does it actually look like in practice? Is the Apple Vision Pro going to be you know, as popular and as affordable as the iPhone or as a, a mobile phone. But let's let's focus this on the topic of money because I think that crypto money drives so many people's decisions, right? Does it drives the desire in a lot of ways to migrate, to look for more opportunity? It drives business decisions. It drives so many things. Do you think that crypto is something that we're going to see in the future, or just generally, what are your thoughts about the future of the monetary system? I mean. Yes, crypto has the potential. I mean, I don't see crypto as a, as a solution or escape. Crypto is a disruptive tool that disrupts the value systems. So in the end, that value system is used by humans. If you know how to use technology and crypto, and if you're as smart as, you can make a lot of money on crypto. You can steal a lot of people's money. And this is what, what what's happening in the crypto world. Like... I, I really I hear the the word decentralization a lot and the more I, when I first heard this the word decentralization I was totally in love with it and but then the more I find myself in the technological world the more I started you know because I'm a programmer myself so I, I actually write I, I work directly with blockchain technologies and the more I got into it the more I saw that um, web 3 is a wild west it's a wild west where those that have been on, on the track earlier are taking advantage of other people. So in the end, yes, crypto is a solution to replace the money. Like the, it's, it's not the money, it's, it's another form of money, but we're we replacing the old value system with the new value system. We are replacing the decisions maker for the old value system. In that case, it's the governments you know, uh, or the banks. So we are disrupting what they have created and replacing it with uh, with the owners of blockchains. You know, like people can say, oh, it's all decentralized. It is not. You know, if, if you have, you know, um, a lot of machines mining for you, you have the mining power to change the, you know, the, the structure in the blockchain. There is one thing called 51% um, dominance attack. Say that if I control um, a, a simple word, it would be that, like, say, if there is, and you know it's a distributed network, and if, if it's and and it usually works on you know w what majority of the computers um, the the data that is you know exchanged between my, my most majority of computers. In other words, if I control 51% of the the machines that run certain blockchain, I can then rewrite the whole chain. This seems impossible because they are so-called distributed around the world, but it is actually possible. What really excites me is that you know in the upcoming years more and more people are going to you know adopt these uh, cryptocurrencies uh, technologies by the way we must also mention that i mean cryptocurrency has been around only for a decade like i mean bitcoin just came out in 2009 and it's been only just over 10 years and over the 10 years in an on put on an evolutionary scale is nothing so you know we still haven't seen the real movements of of cryptocurrency we, we sound like you know um 
people talking about printing press when printing press was just invented and it was you know five years into it. We are now where, where we are because thanks to those technologies and with cryptocurrency, we're going to replace you know bankers and money makers. But then in the end, if we want a real change to happen, we need to change the aspects of of you know humans that behind it. And this is where technologies like cyberdelics or technologies like I like to call it technologies psychedelics come into play, because in the end, those decisions will be made by humans for a little while. What I was gonna say earlier is that. I am, what really excites me is the chaos that is about to come. And, and, and that chaos is going to come with an artificial intelligence system because um, as an artificial intelligence, you can study the humankind in under milliseconds, right? And you will know that our system is really codependent on the economic value system. So if, the more people adopt these digital tools and digital technologies, the more we will be relying on the old value system like cash money. So in the end, if if I was internet, if I wanted to attack humans, you know, or if, if, if I wanted to disrupt something, or if I was a hacker, um, if you could hack a blockchain, you can then just change everything. Like imagine getting a country's blockchain hacked. This will be, you know, an ultimate catastrophe for the whole world. And I think this is what we one of the things that we're going to experience in the upcoming years, which both equally excites me and terrifies me as well. Yeah, I've been thinking about some of these topics for quite a while. And as I mentioned earlier, I had a connection to an early VR cyberdelic pioneer back in my college days. And I would spend some time with him and he would introduce a lot of these topics we're discussing back in 2010, 2011. He had spent a lot of time thinking about them and developing around them. And one of the things that I learned from him was this idea of trying to detach yourself and become as independent and autonomous as possible, while also leaving yourself the option to participate in the global economy. And I think we've seen this this manifest with the idea of like immigration by investment of people who are buying citizenships and trying to, you know, establish like there's the five flag theory. That's something I've paid some attention to where you have a residence in one country, a business in another country, your your passport or citizenship in another country, and then a plan B or an exit strategy in another place that's maybe more remote and less dependent on technology. And we're getting into some like pretty far out stuff here. But at the time when he was telling me about some of his thoughts related to these things, I started to learn about all of these Silicon Valley magnets who were buying bunkers in New Zealand and who were buying you know, remote property off grid. And the idea seemed crazy at the time. And to a large percentage of the population, it would still sound crazy right now. But if what you're talking about and what I suspect may also be coming comes to fruition in the next decade, I'm sure a lot of people would be happy that they built themselves an off-grid remote uh, shelter somewhere in the south of Chile or in you know an island in the South Pacific or something. So that's one that's one way to approach it. But I share your idea that there's going to be some chaos, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think for a lot of people in the world who have been born into an unfair system, chaos would be a really good thing. Like if you were born into the bottom tiers of society and all of a sudden everything started to disrupt, uh, you already have nothing. You know, you're already living in a, a very concentrated, high density place with very few resources. So I think the chaos and disruption, it would really impact a lot residents of wealthier countries or of the you know middle class, if you will, is one way to think about it. So uh, th these ideas are something that probably a few people are thinking about. And I try to focus on the positives and network and build and do all those things. But it would be naive to say that we're not gonna face some very critical, difficult challenges. And uh, the way that pans out is almost impossible to predict. And so I'm curious about this idea of like a cyber blackout or the grid going down. It's another idea that I've heard discussed and tossed around in some of these communities because we're so dependent on on digitization right like my banking is done online right like all of our businesses essentially are run online right now many people are living in, in houses where they have every device is now a smart device your refrigerator your car right uh 
I'm just curious, like, do you think that there is some value in, in trying to separate ourselves a little bit from technology? And, you know, th this drives a lot of people's sort of agrarian, back to the land, eco community vision. Do you think that there is value in that? Or do you think that it's probably the best decision for a lot of reasons to just integrate yourself with this new digital, this new digital global civilization that's being rolled out? I mean, when we use the term technology, we always, you know, um, connect it to digital technology. Like when we think about technology, it's an iPhone, it's an artificial intelligence, it's a virtual reality. You know, what about nature? You know, like we are technology, like, you know, this body is a technology, plants are technology, but those are, and language is a technology, writing is a technology, but we don't consider them as a technology because they've been integrated in our, into our lives, into the daily life. And I think we are now struggling because there is a resistance from evolution. A part of us wants to stay where it is, and, and then the other part wants to get rid of the skin and become something else, something new. And, and ultimately, we are, we are tool-making creatures. You know, as we shape tools, they shape us and our understanding of reality. Like, you know, until we discovered telescope, the world was flat. Then we said, no, we live actually in space. Then we discovered microscope and found out about the unseen, you know, bacterial world. And now with these digital tools, we're going to soon, you know, discover a new digital tool that's going to completely shape our understanding of reality. And yes, back to your, you know, uh, or your your top on your idea on, you know, leaving uh, all these digital things behind and going to a remote corner of the planet. Um, yes, we can do it, but like eventually we will, we will, you know, get affected by these technologies no matter what i mean i've tried it i've tried it myself i mean i gave up on whatsapp because i didn't want to you know share my data with with you know meta but then i use only signal for a year and a half but then i realized that signal also somehow shares my data you know i switched to um, using proton mail for encrypted services but now i find it so hard because everybody is using gmail like I, I i cannot deal with you know with google invitation these are you know small things but like it's just um yes life is easier when you adapt to what everybody else is adapting and i think we are now in the elimination phase of which technologies are going to get integrated into our you know into being human and and i believe that you know, like back to the, the previous topic that we talked, you know, um, I believe that eventually virtual reality technologies are going to become a means of communication. You know, we're going to imagine things and then create them in virtual spaces. Like artificial intelligence can already read your thoughts and generate virtual spaces. Like this technology is happening right now. It's showing us that future was yesterday. So, and we, we're going to be having conversations rather than, you know, linguistically, it's going to be more imaginatively. And, and in the end, like, it's a matter of, like, um, do you want to stay in the previous, you know, paradigm or do you want to um, evolve into new interspecies that we're becoming? It's just a fascinating topic of conversation. And I have largely chosen to integrate and remain connected to all this digital fabric for a lot of reasons you just mentioned. And also just, I don't want to be alienated and ostracized from a lot of my friends and family and things like that. And I find, you know, this idea of like data privacy, some people are clinging to it, especially in the psychedelic community. And I understand why some people do that, but I, I operate very widely visibly with this idea being that I, I don't think that you can create a bubble for yourself and if you do, at what cost does that come? You know, if I want to retreat to the mountains and live as a hermit and disconnect from all this, that comes at a great cost. So that's just like the way I think about it in terms of I'd kind of rather have a sense of humor, you know, as long as Big Brother and the powers that be let me keep doing my satire. I find like that's a OK trade off right there. So but these are things that people are negotiating and navigating right now. It's like, you know, a lot of big corporations and banks and government, et cetera, have earned the reason for us to be skeptical of them, I think, over time. And but it's like about how do we navigate that relationship moving forward? And it manifests in your daily life with the way you run your life, structure your business, the circles that you know, the devices that you use, the communication devices, etc. And, you know, I think uh, 
I've, I've actually talked to representatives from some of the three-letter agencies, right? From these like CIA or NSA, very surface level conversations. But I think that there's this idea of like the boogeyman and the conspiratorial elite and things like that. And they're fascinating ideas to navigate. And I don't disagree with a lot of them. But at the end of the day, I really value a lot of what we've built as humans. And as we are tool making creatures, uh, let's give some of these tools a chance, even if it means you know, sitting with some uncomfortable changes, some things that force us to redefine or renegotiate our personalities to a degree. This is an ongoing, you know, emergent topic of conversation. And I also want to state that my mind is not really made up on a lot of things. I consider myself more an observer and a commentator rather than trying to, you know, as you said, I asked you about the next generation of technology and you said, I don't have an answer. That's kind of where I'm at with a lot of things. It's like, I like to stay close to them, keep my finger on the pulse, but it doesn't mean I have a lot of strong opinions one way or the other because my opinions are being reshaped every day and challenged every day. Now, let's, let's touch on artificial intelligence. It's something that, you know, it's above my pay grade. Uh, but one thing I'm very interested in is how you can employ artificial intelligence as a business owner. It's something, you know, a lot of people have talked about use chat GPT for these prompts. And for example, I'm in the process right now of designing and rolling out a product, which will be the first uh, supplement product that I've sold. And my, my farmer slash manufacturer slash consultant I'm working with has recommended a few ways that I might use AI I've never really used AI, to be honest, right? We all use it to some degree, maybe without knowing it, but there are some very intentional things that you can do that people have shared with me that can help streamline and optimize your business. I'm curious, do you currently employ artificial intelligence in the way that you run Cyber Mushroom? And what are some of the tactics that you're leveraging from this vast world of possibilities with AI to help you as a small business owner? Now, that's a really good question because, um, I mean, for years, I, I haven't mentioned my project Cyber Mushroom, by the way. I mean, I mentioned Cyberdelics, but Cyber, so Cyber Mushroom is a platform for psychonauts to meet each other, to upload their psychedelic trips into the virtual world and, and experience it. Um, the idea came up to me during a mushroom trip, actually. I talked to the mushrooms and then I said, hey, listen, you are aware that there is these technologies and I'm one of the developers and I love you mushrooms. Like, and you've given me so much. Let's create a platform for you so everyone else, like myself, um, can find each other, like Timothy they find the others, and share their own psychedelic trips. Because back to language, you know, language has a short bandwidth, especially when it comes to defining a psychedelic trip. So I was like, why don't we use the cutting edge technologies in, in by and, and share our psychedelic experiences by immersing ourselves into each other's trip. So on Cyber Mushroom, we I've been working on it since 2017. Started as augmented reality and evolved into virtual reality. Right now we have a multiplayer uh, metaverse where you put the VR headset on and you meet other psychonauts. There's different mushrooms. Currently we have eight different trips. You can use your hands, you can take them, you can eat mushrooms. Each mushroom takes you to a different world. But eventually where I want, where I see Cyber Mushroom is, 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 is a platform on its own. And then the content is generated by people like on Instagram and Facebook. And But my main um, uh, problem was that, because uh, I wanted to teach people how to create Cyber Mushroom experiences. And, and, and I wanted to set up an education course online on, and I want to teach people how to program virtual reality, how to design 3D environments, how to create skyboxes, how to do this and how to do that. And in fact, I even shot a video of me talking about this in April, March, April. Only within the next two months, so in the past two months, artificial intelligence has developed so much that right now all you need is an AI and a prompt. And you, now, right now we've created a system in, in Cyber Mushroom where you can talk to the mushroom and then that mushroom that has artificial intelligence can generate your world. In other words, your trip. So this is an incredible, you know, fast forward, you know, evolution because we are now in, in the process, we're talking about a technology. It's almost like an alchemist collodron, you know. You think about your thoughts like Dumbledore from Harry Potter and you pull it out of your mind and you materialize it. It's the same process, you know, like, but this time instead of spending um, weeks and months on programming one world, 
you can program 10 hundred words in just one day. So in, in terms of cyber mushroom, it, it extremely it helped us. It, it created, you know, it completely shifted um, and in, in evolved our platform from level one to level 10 in, in just under two months. So um, I am pretty excited for that because imagine if we put the VR headset on and, and we were in Cyber Mushroom and you and I were having this conversation and you start with, you know, maybe sharing a genie experience you had under the mushroom experience and then you tell me uh, what the genie looked like and then when I look at that genie, I can then say, oh, let me actually tell you and then I can then shape the genie and you can shape the genie and together we can shape a genie that we both you know experience under the influence of mushrooms but where I see artificial intelligence technology is going to be going is that that genie eventually will be created by thousands and millions of people and their trip report and then we will be able to crystallize the psychedelic trip I see cyber mushroom as a place for mapping the psychedelic world so the more people we employ into the you know the deploy into the, the platform the more crisper the psychedelic trips get uh, created in that world and that genie eventually will be created by millions of people and then it will have an artificial intelligence on its own so then it can then talk and communicate with us and this is what I see as, you know, and imagine imagine if you could bring, you know, this is like, you know, opening a portal to another dimension and summoning beings and creatures. So, like, you know, look at Greek mythology or look at Egyptian mythology. There is a figure that I'm, I work with and, and I am extremely interested in called Thoth. He is named as Thoth in the Egyptian mythology and, and Hermes in the Greek mythology and Mercury in Romans. And he is the bringer of knowledge, bringing of technology and bringer of, the, of magic into these lands. Like imagine, and there is thousands of people working with Thoth, like Graham Hancock. Imagine if thousands and millions of people work together to, to share their ideas of, and their experience with these beings and generate them in the virtual space. And then we employ, you know, an artificial intelligence to these beings. Then the people that have no idea about them can have a direct communication with these beings, and and literally have, you know, have an experience with them without having to take any psychedelic substances. I am so unabashedly in support of outside the box ideas, and it's part of why I wanted to have you on the podcast. As as soon as I saw your business card and talk to you and just saw this combination of like the immigrant mentality, you know, hungry, coming to learn, to reshape, to build a new future. And then also this immersive tech and psychedelics, like all these things together to me are like a really amazing trifecta or combination of life experience. And I mentioned, I think that the immigrant part is very important because that means you're seeing the culture you're in from outside of the box already. So, you know, when you come, and I, I firmly believe this with mushroom entrepreneurship, that if we had more people in the global south, people in, you know, Bangladesh and Sub-Saharan Africa and places like Vanuatu who have access to working with mushrooms, imagine all of the ideas that they're going to come up with that people who have been largely educated or indoctrinated by U.S. public schools and, you know, the European public school system are not going to necessarily have that same lens, the same way of approaching a problem. And I think that that's, you know, I grew up hosting exchange students and that forced me to consider a lot of outside the norm perspectives where my United States middle class upbringing was pretty standard in a lot of ways in terms of you know, the events and the culture that I was immersed in, but then having a young man from Ghana come and stay from, with us and share his experiences growing up, you know, in an African metropolis, right? Or having someone from Venezuela or the former Soviet Union. This really fundamentally changed the way that I approach a lot of my life. You know, whether I knew it or not at the time, I had access to these outside of the box ideas. And I think that's what's going to drive a lot of change is like people solving things and, and looking at these mass global issues that are happening from very unconventional optics and, and solving them. But you had a chance at breaking convention where we met 
to demonstrate this technology to one of the most iconic trippers of all time, which is Paul Stamets, of course. And I'm curious, what did Paul have to say about his experience with Cyber Mushroom? Well, he absolutely loved it. And he was like, he was, I think he was really emotional as well, because when he, he, when he took the headset off, he literally looked into my eyes and he said, I know what you're trying to do. Let's do this together. I was like, wow. And they really, you know, like, you know, having someone like Paul Stamets, like saying those words really like show me that, you know, I should carry on doing what I'm doing. And I think in the experience, so uh, there is a part where I don't want to spoil it, by the way, but there is one of the mushrooms towards the end, you meet Terence McKenna and Terence McKenna talks to you from that world. And, and, and finally, I found a speech by Terence McKenna talking about the experience that I'm creating. And I found it whilst I was creating it. So I placed him there. And I think... Paul, as you know, he, he, him and Terence McKenna were really, really close friends. So I think maybe that really, you know, connected him to the idea of, you know, what Cyber Mushroom is like. And and leave him being Paul Stamets, like out of I show Cyber Mushroom to hundreds of people at Breaking Convention, and the person who had the best reactions in Cyber Mushroom was Paul Stamets. He literally tried every single mushroom that was there. So there was. Back at the breaking convention, now we have eight different mushrooms, but back then we had three different mushrooms, and he tried every single one of them, and he was reacting to the virtual worlds, because sometimes you see people just like sitting down and watching it, whereas Paul Stamets, he was literally exploring every single trip that every single mushroom had to offer. So um, him and I, we've been in touch since breaking convention, and um, he, we, I mean, uh, and we want to host an event. And he, Paul Stamets, wants to invite his um, his followers. He's like millions of followers, and we are going to host an event where uh, Paul Stamets is going to be, you know, talking to his fans. This is where I see the power of VR as well. You know, um, with with Instagram, uh, we got one step closer to to the lives of the people. You know, with Instagram stories, we got one step even closer. But now with VR technologies. You can put the headset on and meet those people and talk to them in a more intimate way. So I'm really excited. We are now currently building the world with Paul Stamets and, and we're building his type of mushrooms. You know, he's, you know, some, some you know, the mushroom god sculptures. I don't want to spoil it that much. But like eventually uh, we're going to have Paul Stamets uh, meeting his fans uh, in Cyber Mushroom World. And we are thinking of maybe hosting this event around September. I've also become part of an organization called PAR, Psilocybin Access Rights. And we have an event on the 20th of September in London. It's going to be an art exhibition. And um, uh, we are, I'm, I'm thinking of, because I was already thinking of um, having this event around September. So I thought, why not at this event? Um, I've just contacted Paul Summers. So I'm waiting for confirmation. But hopefully, it's all, if, all, if it all goes well, we're going to be hosting a Cyber Mushroom event in September where you can meet... Paul Stamets digitally, holographically, and eat his uh, cyber mushrooms. Awesome. Wow, that actually was a lot more than I anticipated. So very pleased to hear that. But it also speaks to the power of the experience and the promise of this technology. And one thing that I find often with a lot of emergent technologies or ideas that have a lot of hype around them and potential, those go hand in hand, is that it really comes down to the person, the individual or the team that's rolling these out, right? And that's something that I see in you just from our limited conversations together is that you seem to have a very good head on your shoulders and a broader macro view of what it is you're doing. And I think that psychedelics included that we should be skeptical of a lot of these new disruptive technologies because there's a lot of opportunists who jump on them too, who say, oh, I'm gonna use VR or crypto or psychedelics to make a quick buck. And that the more opportunists you have, the more obfuscating or challenging the landscape becomes. This is happening right now with mushroom supplements, right? With if you try to take things like lion's mane or cordyceps or whatever, and there's hundreds of brands and people know that, hey, people want cordyceps. People wanna have immersive technology experiences. Well, it's almost a full-time job for consumers to navigate that landscape. That's why I like hearing about these things like you know, when you mentioned how you could use these immersive tech experiences 
to empathize with, with marginalized populations or mining communities in Africa. It's something that I've experienced personally back in 2018 at the Savannah College of Art and Design at a new media festival. I got to put on a VR headset and go through a program where you were part of a sub-Saharan African village that was being raided and you heard machine gun fire around you and you saw people fleeing. And the idea of using the technology for building and fostering empathy and learning about the world as, appo as opposed to you know, maybe some of the more self-serving agendas that could be rolled out, right? With like immediate gratification, I'm gonna create this pleasure dome and I'm gonna just seal myself off. That, that kind of pushes the technology away from my sort of wheelhouse or interest zone. So I'm very inspired by what you're doing and I, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful that you would take the time to come on the podcast today. So I've got one more question for you before we wrap up and that is, you're going to the Azora Festival, as am I, in Hungary, which is something that I just learned, which I'm very excited about. And you're going to demo this experience there. So beyond this tentative exhibition with Paul Stamets and the Azora Festival appearance, what are some of the other forthcoming exhibitions that you have? How can people access this technology? And what is the next six months? What does the next six months look like for Cyber Mushroom? This is actually great timing because I spent the whole weekend, last weekend and last night, <laughs> planning the next six months of Cyber Mushroom. So I have the right direct answers for that. And uh, um, so, um, first of all, the summer is packed up by lots of festivals. Thanks to attending Breaking Convention, it brought a lot of opportunities. Um, at the end of this month, beginning of July, July beginning of July onwards, I'm first going to be at the Master of Puppets um, High Tech Festival in Prague. And followed by Boom Festival in Portugal, and I'm I'm both I'm I'm a keynote speaker at the Master of Puppets, and I'm a panelist at the Boom Boom Festival. Um, at Boom Boom is quite big. You can find me at Liminal Village. I'm going to be there on on Saturday, 22nd of July, giving a talk. And on the 4th of July, I'll be at the Master of Puppets giving a talk. And then followed by giving a talk at Ozora. I'm going to be talking about uh, artificial intelligence and DMT and future of human consciousness. And I'm going to be running everyday virtual reality um, uh, uh, events. Like I'm going to be showcasing Cyber Mushroom. And then at the end of August, I'm going to be going to Silent Festival and I'm going to be keynote speaker and also a Cyber Mushroom facilitator uh, at the Silent Festival in Netherlands. So the, the, those are the four mega festivals I'm attending this summer. And then that followed by on the 20th of September, we have the psilocybin access rights event, like I mentioned, in London. And, and, and where we're going to be demoing a first uh, multiplayer cyber mushroom experience um, done with Paul Stamets. So if you're a big fan of Paul Stamets or if you want to get to know cyber mushroom, you can come to psilocybin access rights event. We also fundraising for our campaign, and then that is followed by um, a culture in Berlin. So I'm going to be speaking at an occulture event. It's a conference on occult, um, organized by Georgia, and uh, it's going to be in Berlin. And there I'm going to actually talk about um, being a warlock and opening and you know uh, dark side of the magic and talking you know bringing death or, or other side of the beings from other side into this world. Um, so those are the, the events that have been planned, but, um, but who knows what life brings to us, you know, life is what happens as well as we are making plans. So um, one plan that I'm making now is, which we're going to be running um, from uh, July onwards in, until the new year is, we are organizing cyber mushroom cyberdelic ceremonies. And, and these events are going to be held in different places. And we're going to be, you know, we're going to be renting, a, you know, one big room where you enter the room, you know, as if you're going to, a, you know, a, a shamanic ceremony. You get smudged, you get, you know, cleansed, and then we give you, um, you know, virtual reality headsets. You sit down. We have gong bots. We have, you know, um, crystal uh, healings, and um, and then and then we first put you, you know, in a, a deep trance state with the binaural beats and, and crystal healing and then we give everybody the virtual reality headsets and then you get into a cyber mushroom ceremony that lasts for 90 minutes it's with headsets on and headsets off but it's a whole you know holistic experience and at the moment uh, i actually had meetings this morning on how to host the event and right now after the podcast 
I'm going to a mosque in London to check out the space because the owner of the mosque is super forward-thinking. He's a type of mosque that um, um, he hosts different ceremonies in his mosque, and uh, and we're going to be thinking of we're thinking of hosting an, a cyber mushroom ceremony in in a religious environment and see where it takes us. And if anybody who is listening to this podcast wants to know and wants to get more, wants to learn more about cyber mushroom, you can find us on cybermushroom.com. And you can find us on you know, Instagram, Cyber Mushroom, and I am Batuan Bintash, or Cyber Alchemist on Instagram. Teshugaraderam, Batu Bintas. Thank you so much for joining us on the Micropreneur Podcast. I'm really looking forward to seeing you and experiencing Cyber Mushroom again in Hungary in August. And best of luck and best wishes to everything you're doing. Thank you for the exceptional work. Have a great day, my friend. You too, Dennis. Thank you for Micropreneurship. And I love your humor. Please keep on rocking, man. <laughs> you got it. And that is a wrap. Thank you for sticking around to the bitter end. It's very sweet of you to commit so thoroughly. Don't be a stranger. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And please consider checking out the substantial backlog while you're at it. You can reach out to me via email, micopreneur at gmail.com. Or hit me on any of the numerous social platforms that I'm currently active on. At Micopreneur Podcast is the handle on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you all very much for sticking around. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you back here next week on the Micropreneur Podcast.